Well, good afternoon, everybody. What a privilege to be with all of you. Hasn't this been an amazing day? Wow. Uh, it's, it's an amazing day, first and foremost, because we get to do the stewardship of life. And I've always believed that uh, our divine design, the way God made us, created us, designed us with gifts, talents, and abilities, and experiences, that's our gift from Him to us. And how we do stewardship of life is our gift back to Him, how we invest our life. Uh, and today's been a great day of investing, you know, continuing to learn so that we can uh, break through new levels of growth and, uh, and change and transformation. So it's been exciting to be a part of it, and I've had a chance to meet so many people, and uh, what a joy it is to see what God is doing through your lives uh, here in Ohio. I had a privilege, as was mentioned, to spend time with the SEO Ohio students. Wow, amazing students. It's so, it's so incredible to see the students God is raising up to serve Jesus, to serve the church, and to serve the world. And uh, as we tell students, that we have the privilege to come alongside. You are a solution to an issue, to a challenge, to a people group. Uh, God has you specifically ready to affect his glory and to his honor. So this has been a great day. This afternoon, I, I want to talk with you a little bit about how to lead uh, transformational change and growth and, and how to uh, create even sustainability in, in your church and your ministry organization or in, in whatever role that you have the privilege to serve in. And we, we call it a, around SCU, it's a system called uh, Framework Leadership. In fact, I actually wrote a book called Framework Leadership and of course the book goes uh, into a deep dive of, of the organizational dynamics and, and leading change and, and I'm going to give you really the cliff notes of that today, and then we'll have uh, a little bit of time of Q&A. But just to give you a little context on how this system has been effective in, in our organization, in our university, and, and again, I will tell you, this framework I've used in every aspect of my life. My first career was in television sports, uh, and, uh, and I was at NBC in Los Angeles, and had the privilege to lead a, a, an entire sports department, and I actually used this framing process uh, to create uh, new, new and innovative ways of delivering uh, sports and, and, and delivering news. And, and I've used it as a pastor, had the privilege to pastor over 15 years. And then now I've been in, in higher education about 18 years and have used it. But in, in the specific context at Southeastern, I was elected in February 2011 to become the new president there, the 15th president of the university. And here was my task. Uh, they ha had not had a leader did not have a president for two years. I followed an amazing leader, Dr. Mark Rutland, and many of you may be familiar with him. Uh, he went on to be the president of Oral Roberts University. Uh, and, and really, under his leadership, the university grew from, from about 600 students to around 3,400 students. But in a two-year absence, and how many know it's tough for an organization, for a church, when there's no leader uh, for any length of time. But for two years, over that two years, uh, significant loss in enrollment, over a thousand students, uh, and that translated into revenue uh, for for the university because most faith-based universities are enrollment-driven. We don't have all these amazing endowments like uh, like Ohio State has, and, and uh, so we rely on uh, you know the enrollments, and we lost uh, the university lost about twenty million dollars in revenue over those two years. So my task was now to come in and build a team that could start to lead the university out of a plateau and a declining uh, state and context. And so we uh, used this system, uh, framework leadership, to begin to uh, create that transformational change and, and growth. But here's a question that should confront every leader, and not just one time, but it should be a constant question that you ask yourself, how do I build a map to a place that I've never been before? How do I build a map to a place that I've never been before? Because if you are leading a church, an organization, a ministry, whatever it is, if you're going to grow, you're going to places you've never been before. And so you have to have a mapping process. You have to have a, a system that is put into place that will help you. And, and, and really the, the, the mindset for mapping uh, change or leading transformational growth. Uh, to achieve anything great uh, changes both the doorway, but it's also the path. It's a, it's a journey. And as a leader, you're always going to be leading transformational change and growth 
in a consistent, healthy way. And by the way, you're not only leading growth, but you're leading health. How many know you can uh, be a growing church but not be healthy? Yeah. <laughs> or you, you can be healthy and maybe you're not growing, but you need both. And, and you want a framework, you want a system that can help you cultivate both of those uh, in, in your the privilege that you have to lead in that context. Remember this, what got you here today will not always get you there tomorrow. And that's why you have to understand systems. Growth that is not sustainable, I've always believed, is really a, a, a waste of energy and effort. It, it is poor stewardship. When you talk about stewardship of what God has entrusted, what he's given to us to care for. And I've always been a a firm believer that, that organizational growth and health is all about being a a systems thinker, when you can think in that way. And, and, and what systems thinking is, is all about, a systems thinker looks at the big picture of the organization and then understands how the different parts of the organization interconnect so that you can accomplish the unique mission of that entire organization. System thinking offers always a better way to really begin to predict future outcomes for growth, future outcomes for sustainable health. And framework leadership is all about developing a system of stewardship. It's a, it's a system that will, will sensitize you to the context in which you are desiring, wanting, longing to create meaningful change uh, in the organization. The framework <laughs> process, I've always believed, is both necessary for personal growth because you can apply this in a personal way as well as organizational growth. Um, and, and it will also, I think as, as you begin to lay out the map, you will discover that it, it will be a map that provides a structure. It will provide a rationale. It will provide a method for moving your organization toward the change process, even when the destination may be unclear. You don't know exactly where you're headed, but at least you have the formula, the plan, the structure, the system in place. It will also give you the ability to respond to the unexpected things that happen. And of course, we, had, we faced a major unexpected event uh, over the last two years. None of us expected a major pandemic to hit our organizations and our churches and our ministries. And if you have a system in place, you can begin to map and, and respond to whatever that unexpected situation may be. And I'm convinced, I really am, that in order to, to remain relevant, in order to, to be leaders of organizations that will, will continue to grow and change, you need to develop regular patterns of framing behavior that will constantly create breakthrough. We need to keep going to new levels of growth, and only by doing so can you produce the innovative results that, that will meet the rising challenges of the current context, that will meet the rising challenges of the future context, but most importantly, hit the challenges that God wants you to go through to create growth and help you. Missional visionary goals, I've always felt, are not the things that determine success, but your plan, your formula, your map is what will help you. Systems do. And there are systems to everything we do, and they are a direct result of what we've created, designed, or what we've tolerated, actually, in our organizations. And every organization needs to have really a, a key framework in place that will lead to change and will lead to transformation and it will lead to breakthrough growth because that's what honors God. That's what being a steward is all about. What God has given to you now, invest in it so it can produce growth to his glory and to his honor. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to just share with you the principles of the, the framework leadership that we use to guide us. And, and really there are just four simple steps. We go through this constantly. It's not just a one-time thing. It is something that we do constantly, even on a weekly, a monthly, even a yearly. In fact, our leadership team has what we call a framework leadership retreat, where we actually 
go through all of these steps in a very specific way so that we can make sure we're building the right map to the place that we need to go to, where God has us going. And, and, and it's always a fun process because it involves people. And that's what it's all about, right? We get to do life with people, serve together. And, and it's always a, a great process. The first step, and I'm just going to go through these, and then also I will tell you, and I'll go through some of the, the smaller frameworks that we've developed for organizational life decision-making at our university. Because every organization, every church will need to develop their own system that helps them make the right kinds of decisions and choices that will lead that community uh, in, in growth and transformation. The first one is my one of my favorites because I think it's the most powerful one. In fact, I'm going to talk a little bit more in specifics about this in the closing session here in a little while. But the first one is all about listening. Before you can know how to reach your destination, you need to know where you are right now and where you want to go. And, and that starts with listening, attentive listening, positioning yourself and your organization to consistently solicit and focus feedback of all types with, with the people that you have the privilege to serve. Um, I'll never forget uh, when they were bringing me in for the final aspect of the interview for for being elected as the possible president of Southeastern University. Two full days, and I mean it started at 7 a.m. in the morning and literally would not end until about 9 at night. And they had me and my wife meet with every constituency group you can imagine. So uh, students and, and faculty and staff and community leaders and donors and trustees and I mean just alumni. And, and you were going to face all the questions that they have. If you're going to be their future leader, they want to know everything they can about you and, and how you work and operate. And, and, uh, and, and there was always, in fact, it was usually the very first question that they asked. Can anybody guess what that question would be that they would ask? Any, uh, imagine, what would... What, what makes you think you're qualified for? Qualified? That's a great question. That wasn't the first one, though. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, I'll tell me about that. Yeah, but that wasn't the first one. They got, I got to all that. The first one is, okay, what's your vision? How are you going to lead this organization? And especially, again, they, they had gone two years without a leader. And culture was probably not at its best at, at that point, and morale. And, and, and then they had declined in students significantly. Finances were, were, they were struggling. And so that's the very first question they had. What's your vision? What's your plan? And I'll never forget every time they'd ask that, and I, I gave this answer, I looked at him and said, I don't have one. And you should have seen their faces. Like, I, I mean, they didn't have to speak anything. You could tell from their expression, you're not going to be our next president. You know, what do you mean you don't have a vision? And then I began to explain to them, there is a principle that, I love uh, Jim Collins. He's a great writer on organizational leadership and, and leading change. And one of his books, Good to Great, maybe you've read it. Um, he was studying a lot of major companies and, and how they grew and so forth. But in that book, he says this, you can never know the potential of an organization until you know the potential of the people. And I explained to them, how in the world can I begin to articulate? Sure, I, I can kind of lay out a few system things, but how can I begin to truly know the vision for this university until I know you? And I have a chance to hear your dreams and, and the things that you value and you love and you enjoy. And... And I want to take that time to, to, to do that. And so we did. We created the largest listening exercise that the university had ever undertaken. We created all kinds of constituency groups that we just listened to them. And we used a process. And there's a lot of tools that you can use to listen. Uh, one of the tools that I love is it's called appreciative inquiry. Maybe you've heard about it, but I would, I would check it out because I love the way it approaches leading change. It's appreciative. 
a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to, they want to start with what's wrong with the organization, how bad this is, and here's what we need to change. Start with what's great about the org. What do I appreciate about this university? And, and we would start out in these, these listening sessions, if you could dream about what SEU would look like in five years, in 10 years, even way down the road, what would that be? And it's something about approaching it in this way, an appreciation, a value, what you celebrate, unlocks even more innovation in your mind, in your heart. And the Holy Spirit begins to stir because, you know, God loves what's good and right. And that's what we want to celebrate as we begin to map places where we need to go to honor him with our organization. And, and so we spend time discovering what that could be. And out of that, we could start to see. It was amazing. And, and you know, all these groups met at different times, and all, but it was interesting to see some of the same patterns of answers from group to group to group, and you begin to see, wow, this is maybe vision. This can be part of the mission of what we need to accomplish and where we need to go and, and what we need to do, and, and uh, it was powerful to, to see that, and we started to formulate Again, some, some strategy of mapping. It's that mapping process to a place you've never been before. And I can tell you this, you can never formulate a plan or a strategy or a vision without taking the time to listen. And until we do our job as listeners, we can never shape our role as leaders. That's why listening is so powerful and so important. The second uh, framing piece to how we lead change is auditing the context. And you can't lead effectively without a thorough understanding of your context and what you're facing and who you have the privilege to lead. The context includes all the people and, and all the resources and the circumstances that are necessary to create success, to create growth, to create an environment where you can uh, have health and sustainability. It also includes the challenges and even the competition and limitations that you may have to overcome, the financial issues, you, you, you assess the context, the competitive you know, environment, the obstacles you're likely to face, the people, resources, strategies, and, and procedures you'll need to pursue your vision, to pursue your, your strategy uh, is so important. I remember uh, the, the first church I had the privilege to uh, serve in, in pastoral leadership. Again, my first career was in television sports and was in that career for 10 years. And, and my final uh, job in that, in that industry was in Los Angeles for NBC. And then God, through amazing circumstances, um, difficult circumstances in my life, God began to change direction about how he wanted to use me, especially in ministry leadership, and felt the call of God to leave broadcasting, and people thought I was crazy. You have this amazing career. Why would you want to do something like, well, if God calls you, I want you to know if God calls you, you want to be faithful, you want to be obedient to that call. But I felt inadequate, and understanding my personal context required me to build a map in my own personal life that would help me to be the best pastor I could be, to be a good steward of this new calling that God has placed on me. My undergraduate degree was in broadcast journalism. Now I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring, and, and so I went back and earned a, a, a master's in theological studies because it covered three specific areas that I felt if I was going to be the best pastor, bring my best self to the context I needed, so like church history and biblical studies and practical leadership. And so I began to apply that to my life so that I could be a good steward and be an example to the people that now I have uh, the privilege to serve, to be good stewards in their life and in their calling. Uh, and then, then the call came from God as to what and how he wanted to use me and, and my wife Karen in ministry, and that was to go and replant a church in Northwest Los Angeles. Let me tell you, this church, um, we, we came to the church and it was, 
In fact, they were about ready to close it. This was their last chance in this incredible community to, to have an Assemblies of God church there. And, and uh, they felt like we, we could be the ones to lead teens and, and begin to develop them. But when, I, when we went to the church, I mean, it was, it was about a three-acre piece of property, but it was so unkept. Horrific. The grass grown high, and the buildings look horrible, and, and, and only 15 people in the church. And probably the average age, the average age of that community, because we did the contextual work auditing the context, the average age of the community was about 35 years of, of age. The average age of those in that particular church was around 75. So, and only 15 at that point. So we had a lot of mapping to create, to get to a place where we could truly influence the community for, for God's glory, for, for the kingdom, to grow a church, to, to make a difference and impact in these, these young families that lived in, in this particular community. So what we did, we, we started having our Sunday night services with those 15 in our home and made it more informal and, and have meals together. And we just began to go through this process. But we, we talked a lot about context. Let's go out into our community and let's start contextually understanding. And one of the best ways to do that is talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, and get, get their awareness of even this church. And, and, and it was always fascinating when they would come back and give their reports. I'll never forget, one couple came back and said, you know, we were just so shocked. But we never really thought about this. Said, when we asked about that church, you know, if you knew this church, and our neighbor said, oh, you mean that unkept, trashy-looking church? And then they said to them, how can you expect me to come to a place if you can't take care of the outside, your lawns, your how can you take care of me on the inside? Contextual awareness as to what the environment was like, the, the, what they were feeling about that particular church. And I'll never forget, he said, you know, I, I, I discovered a concept that every blade of grass is an evangelist. I thought, wow, that's powerful. And we learned that through contextual auditing. Um, this is the state, and by the way, when you start doing context like this, and, and you look at all the, the data and the people and the resource, all that, honestly, what starts to happen, at least what I've discovered every time that we've walked through this process, is that, that the data that you start collecting actually stops being numbers and starts being real live people in your organization. Remember, it's all about people. And we must always remember, we're not leading assets, we're leading people. And context always comes down to the people you have the privilege to serve, to the people you hopefully have the privilege to reach, to bring into relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is a powerful thing. Everything that will ever be accomplished in an organization, in a local church, is by, with, and through the people in your community. So those first two steps, listen, discover dreams, discover you know, what maybe God creatively wants to do through those people. And, and that's what sets churches apart, by the way. That's what sets organizations apart. It's the people that God brings to you with their divine design to make an impact through this church and this organization. And that's what listening and auditing the context begins to do, helps you to discover all of that. The third aspect of, of the framework leadership is clarifying the goal. And this too is, I, I love communication, and so uh, any way that I can have the privilege to, to be able to help people understand or to uh, bring clarification to maybe the mapping process of where we're going to go is, is for me a fun thing. And, and, and this is the part where as a leader, you, you really have to be very careful and intentional uh, an intentional observer and, and receiver and provider of all kinds of feedback. Clarity in your leadership framework is going to allow you to have a laser focus 
on what's ahead of you. It equips the organization to pursue success with what I would call relentless pursuit in your life and, and relentless concentration. And what you do is you establish clarity within yourself around the mission you, you communicate to and solicit, solicit from every person in that organization what they are sensing and feeling and, and hopefully they have an understanding. We, bottom line, we want everybody to be on the same page. And that comes through always taking time to clarify what you're, you're establishing, what you're creating, to clarify the goals. And you use feedback to continually prove the accuracy of your communication that you give and you receive. In, in other words, it's a constant loop of feedback. Here's what we're seeing. Here's what we've discovered. Uh, here's how we're starting to lead this. And you want them to be able to articulate that back. Do they have shared understanding? Do they uh, know where, where they can fit in this process and can be a part of it? I'll never forget one of the things that we learned through the listening and auditing context, and then we started to begin developing the strategy, the vision, and the mission. One of the first things we discovered early on was this importance of retweaking or redesigning our mission of the university. Everybody wanted to create a mission that was a resounding mission and left no, um, nothing, you wanted so, clear, so much clarity in terms of what we were doing with these amazing students that got sent our way, we wanted that to be very clear. And so we created a mission uh, committee that had everybody involved in the organization from students to faculty, staff, again, donors, trustees, uh, uh, every uh, constituent in the university was a part of developing fresh mission for our, our university. And, and the mission that they decided, and, and I love this mission, and it's this, we come alongside students to help them discover and develop their divine design, the way they're wired, created, and gifted, so they can serve Christ, and they can serve the church, and they can serve the world through spirit empowerment in life, in learning, and in leadership wherever they go. That's what we get to do. And it was exciting to communicate that and clarify that and get everybody on board. And I'll never forget, um, one day I was walking the grounds, not too long after we had started doing some clarification meetings and celebration meetings on, on vision and mission and so forth. And I came upon one of our groundskeepers. And I want to tell you, if you haven't been to our campus in Lakeland, Florida, we invite you. Uh, we'll host you. It is like being in paradise. It's, it's amazing. And it's because we have great groundskeepers who take care of, of all of our lawns and our grounds. And, and, and it's, just, it's just amazing. And I, I saw one that I have not yet had the chance to meet. And so I, I walked up and, and introduced myself uh, and, and just said, hey, I, I haven't had a chance to meet you. And, and he shared his name. And, and, and then I asked, oh, what exactly do you do? Uh, here with the grounds. And I'm expecting him to answer, well, I do this, do this, specific, specifics. And I'll never forget. He said, well, I'll tell you what I do, Dr. Andrew. I help students discover their divine design so they can serve Christ and the church and the world through spirit empowerment, life, learning, and leadership. And I go, that's it. That's clarifying the goal. When they can, your people that you serve can articulate back what, what, what you're doing, what you're leading. Everybody feels like they're a part of that organization. And it doesn't matter whatever role you have, whether you're the president or you are a staff, staff person or you're a faculty person, whatever role you are a part of this organization, you are called to that organization and you are leading and are part of the mapping process to produce great growth and health in your organization. That's what clarifying does. And I'll tell you this, this is where you take what you've heard every time you go through this clarifying process. You take what you've heard and you translate it into something that the entire organization can truly understand and they can communicate back to you. And that's what we started sensing. And then also you follow up celebration, celebration of what everybody's doing and their contribution and, and all of that's part of the clarifying process. And it gets everybody excited about what God has been stirring in all of our hearts and our lives. And then finally, this is where you get to see everything in action. And this is where you begin to see 
change happening. You begin to see growth. And that's aligning the vision. Aligning the vision. Leaders who carefully attend to alignment of people and strategies and processes and resources create an engine for velocity amid change. You will begin to, to accelerate in that change process to growth uh, and, and health even beyond what you probably would have imagined could happen and, and could take place in your, your ministry. And good alignment brings about what I call a sense of flow. Uh, this is actually kind of a psychological term, but it's a sense of flow is when you are involved in something so you lose track of time. It's so it's so energy driven and so exciting for you, and, and it just begins to flow out of you. You get into this sense of flow, an environment where people uh, begin to operate at a high capacity without needing to be managed or instructed. They are so aligned with what's going on. They naturally want to step up and be a part and lead and use their gifts and their talents and their experiences to impact the ministries and the things that you're doing in terms of your mission and, and vision. And, and this is what's so great. Good alignment will always bring that sense of flow into everyone's life, and you'll sense that and see it. And an aligned organization usually doesn't have to figure out how to respond it just responds. It knows how to step into action and, and make a difference. And, and how do you do this? Well, what's important in, in your alignment process is you build your teams. You build teams of people with their diverse gifts, with their diverse skill sets, their viewpoints, their abilities, their diverse temperaments and backgrounds because you know that the breakthrough you seek depends on creativity, intuitiveness, and that relentless question. You want, you want people that will always question assumptions so that it can help you guide in the right process. Again, it's part of, of all the mapping processes, especially when you get to this alignment um, piece of, of, of your framework. Uh, the diverse team is always going to be united by a common purpose. And that's what creates alignment. It's aligned by the vision, by the focus, not just short term, but long-term journey. Remember, it's it's all always it's not just the door you walk in leading change, but it's the path, it's the journey in the change process. And that alignment in turn builds confidence up and down the team as each member begins to, you know, really trust each other uh, and carry out their unique function in, in the service of the mission of that church or organization. I kind of liken it to um, an orchestra. I mean, you have all the different instruments and all the different parts, but wow, when they come together and they begin to, to play with skill and passion, you talk about alignment that is, is beautiful, creative. It, it, it's, a, it's like a masterpiece. And, and I also align it to uh, sports teams. Uh, when everything is working right, uh, wow, they're successful as a team. I, I go back to my days in Los Angeles, and I had the privilege, and, and it was great that I came here with opportunity, but my first time when I went to Los Angeles, I come to the 84 Olympics. I had the chance to interview Carl Lewis when he won the four gold medals, and, and I covered a lot of amazing, but my favorite team of all was the Showtime Lakers. And the Showtime Lakers existed in the 80s, and for those, in fact, I, they just, created a couple of uh, somewhat documentary. I, I watched it. It didn't all seem like that's the way it was. But, um, you know, but the Showtime Lakers had Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Michael Cooper, uh, you know, James Worthy. Uh, and uh, so it was, a, it was incredible, incredible. Pat Riley was the head coach. And, of course, when you saw Showtime, the reason why there was Showtime, I mean, it was an amazing show to watch them play. Just the chemistry and and on the court, and, and, and when you watch them, it's so, wow, yeah, these are athletes, but man, this is, this is just who they are. And this is what they accomplished together. But a lot of people didn't see behind the scenes like I had the privilege to see. I would go over to the Laker practice um, facility, and I mean, I can tell you, Magic Johnson was in that facility as early as five in the morning. And you know what he was doing? Working on fundamentals. 
shooting free throws and, and uh, uh, you know, dribbling and just the things that, that we, you know, started doing in junior high. And, and, I mean, and these are professional athletes. And you think, well, they've got this all down. No. They would work on the fundamentals to, and then when, when the team practice started, they gather together, they watch film, and they create strategy, and they looked at the unique, they kind of did a, a framing process. They looked at, and they, you know, uh, they listened to the coaches on what they've learned and discovered about this team they're about to play, and look at the context. How do they usually play? What are, are there, you know, you start going through that kind of uh, framing process to help you know how to create the game plan or the strategy. And they worked hours and hours so that by the time they got to the game, it was alignment and it was seamless. And I mean, it, it was, it, it seemed like from the outside, they were operating almost as a single unit with no real thought at all. Like it was just natural for them. And that's what happens when you begin to align the vision. People just naturally begin to flow with everything that you've been mapping together to create change, to create growth, to create that ability to um, move forward in what God has for you as a church or an organization. I will also, so those are the four framing processes. And again, we use, we go through these constantly to make sure that we're building the right map. Uh, and, and oftentimes, Context changes, culture changes. I mean, how fast does culture change? Constant. And, and, and if you don't keep the pulse of what's going on, then how can you create the meaningful change that needs to happen? How can you create that map to get you to a destination that you've never been before? And so what you will discover as you go through the framing process you will also begin to create, remember a systems thinker thinks of the big picture in, in mind, but understands how, how the different departments interrelate and connect. How do you make day-by-day -day decisions? You know, things like that. And that's where you want to create what we call smaller frameworks. And, and usually when you start with a, a large framing uh, for the first time, you start to get a pattern or a, a behavior or a thinking that allows you to start developing smaller frameworks. And we have, out of that first framing process that we did, we developed six frameworks that help us make day-by-day -day decisions in leading change and growth and health for the university. And, and those, they're always gonna be different for every organization. So as you go through this process, you're gonna discover it. And of course, when you pray and you seek God, he's going to give you, uh, uh, you know, he's gonna lead you, he's gonna guide you, he's gonna uh, begin to open up opportunities and doors for you to begin making the right choices and decisions uh, for your organization. But, but six um, frameworks that we use, uh, one of those frameworks that we developed was the urgent framework. What will be the most important? And, and I know these are kind of small, but you can see, um, see the six frameworks that we use to make decisions. First of all, the, the urgent framework. Our number one urgent issue is always enrollment. Again, we're enrollment driven. Most faith-based universities are enrollment driven. And, and so it's an urgent issue. Every, every faith-based university or any university that has to have enrollment to make it work, you're probably one, two, three cycles away. If you have bad enrollment, possibly the university closing. You talk about an urgent issue. You have to, you have to create streams of enrollment. Another is systems. If you're not constantly changing your systems, that will affect your growth. Um, you know, so what we discovered, one of the reasons why there was some major decline in the university, uh, you know, during that two-year absence of a leader, you know, the university under Dr. Butler had grown so, so fast, they forgot to change some of the systems, especially systems that related to good customer service and how you stay on top of issues and things like that. And if you don't change those in your growth process, you can hit, start to hit a plateau and start to decline. So we use systems urgent and, and then governance. That's another thing. You want to make sure you have governance that fits the flow of your organization. 
We discovered early on, in fact, we had a little help with this from the accrediting body. We are accredited with the Regional Association, SACS, and, and that is the regional accreditation which allows you to transfer credits to any major university, whether that's Ohio State or, or Florida State or whatever that is, you want to have that, that accreditation. And I remember, actually it was my first couple of weeks on the job, they were going through their reaffirmation of, of accreditation. And I'll never forget, I, I was elected, and, and about a week later, the uh, Vice President um, of Institutional Research. Uh, we lived in Seattle because I was the Dean of the College of Ministry Northwest. It was up there, and after I got elected, we moved back, or we went back up to Northwest to, to get ready to move. But within a few days, I kid you not, he sent me a stack this high of uh, reaffirmation reports that said that you're going to need to be familiar with these because the first week on the job is our, our visit. And I'm like, what did I get myself into here? You know, and, um, but one of the things they said to us is we feel like you have a conflict of interest with some of your trustee members. The governance, they might make decisions based on their constituency they serve where they're from rather than making good decisions on what's best for the university. And you need to look at how you create the right kind of governance that will reflect a true Christ-centered, student-focused university. So we literally, in this process of our urgent framework, created a brand new governance. We sat a brand new board within a year and a half of the university. What, and this is amazing to me. That board voted themselves off, and then we set a brand new board. That was because we had a system in place that helped us do and cultivate, going through all of these steps, that helped everybody to understand this is what's best for the university. Now, several of those board members that, that align with where we needed to be were put back on, but we did create the right kind of system to help us move forward in growth and change. But that's an urgent uh, issue. So governance, and then finance, and scholarship, and endowment, and culture. Again, in fact, we, we felt culture was such an urgent issue, we created an actual culture framework, which is focusing on how do we become more like Christ? How do we be better student-focused? How do we uh, be change-oriented? How, how do we collaborate with people, empower people? I mean, those kinds of things. Um, I'll just highlight maybe one, well, two more of these that help us, and then, uh, and then I'll open up, uh, want to open it up for that, but um, the, the one uh, framework that I think is very important is our visionary framework. I've always believed that vision has three components to it. The first component is how will you lead transformation and change. The second component is what do you want to become? Who do you want to become? What are your visionary values? And then the third component is your actual strategy. Here's how we're going to do that. And those are the three components. And so when, when, it, when it comes to the transformational principles, we begin to develop those and articulate those in our framework, such as the first thing is always, you know, confirm our commitment to calling. Again, that everybody is called here. It's not just, you're just not here for a job. You're here because God called you here. And you have something you to contribute to our mission with these amazing students. And, and that's how we will lead change, that everybody is called to be a part of, of Southeastern University. A second one, consecrate ourselves uh, and organization. There's nothing that we, uh, we, we will do nothing unless we consecrate that first to God. Making sure every, every academic year we have a consecration service. We're consecrating ourselves to you. God, what you want to accomplish. We have what we call the word of the year. Every year before the academic season starts, I, I declare a fresh, reflective word that God has for us this season. What he's going to do in our midst this year, it was all about possess the promise. And we've been believing God has so many promises. We are, it's like Joshua leading the Israelites. They finally arrive and it's time to step into and possess that promise. And this is the year God is, we believe God is giving us promises and we've started to see that. But, but you, you consecrate what's ahead of you. Uh, a third, this is a, a principle we, again, we, we use from Collins. And this is good when you're hiring people. Uh, he has a principle, first-rate people hire first-rate people, 
Second-rate people hire third-rate people. Think about your organization when it comes to actual hiring people. You get the first-rate people that will understand your mission and your vision. And they want to get in and they want to learn the context and they want to be a part of, of creating clarity and they, they want to align themselves because again, God's called them. Again, they've consecrated their lives to the work, to the process. And that is so, so important uh, to be a part of that. So, you know, those are some of the transformational principles. We will always lead uh, to cultivate trust. You know, how you will lead change. Second part is the visionary values. Who are you becoming? For us, we want to be a university that absolutely is constantly in formation to be more like Christ. We want to be a community known as serving human need, not only within our community, but even outside of our community, in the local community of Lakeland and beyond where we have campuses nationwide and now literally around the world. How can we serve need and be a witness and be a light and love? We teach our, 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 our students to love they're in Lakeland to love Lakeland because if they can learn to love Lakeland and serve in Lakeland, wherever God calls them, they'll love those communities and they'll serve in those communities. So those are those are values who we're becoming. Uh, a community of grace and, and a faculty of distinction. And uh, you know, so all you, you want to build your values. And then the final thing is a, a vision is your strategy. And we only do five-year windows of strategy. And we're, we just started our third five-year strategy since I've had the privilege to uh, serve as, as president. Uh, and again, when we start these strategies and strategic plans, we go through very detailed the framing process that helps us to do that. Uh, and then one other one that I'll mention is our decision-making framework. Every decision that comes before us, and we have those decisions daily and weekly. Uh, do we, should we do this? Should we start this program? Should, we simply have four four things in our in our uh, uh, leadership when it, when it comes to the functional framework. If if this decision won't produce a stream of enrollment, if it won't produce a stream of revenue, if it's not accessible, if it's not affordable, we don't do it. We don't we don't even consider it. So it's good to have a, again a system in place that helps you to make the right choices, the right decisions, create the right map that will get you to a place that you've never been before. You know, I love Proverbs 11, verse 14. We're all familiar with that passage, but it talks about framing, really. Without good direction, people lose their way. That's what it says there. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances at seeing growth and producing health. And then I love, I love the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90, verse 10. Seventy years, it says in that passage, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80. Then it says, teach us the brevity of life so that we may grow in our faith. And some translations say, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Why? It's all about being intentional in the way we do life, in the way we become good stewards of what God has entrusted with us. Again, never lose sight that God's DNA is stamped on every cell of your being. Think about that. Every day you wake up and hit the street, God created me, designed me, and in fact, Ephesians 2.10 says you are a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. You want to unlock that masterpiece? Get close to Jesus. And you'll begin to discover how he wants to use you. And it says in that verse, he prepared you for good works. Got great plans for you. You want to be intentional in developing those plans. And then it says he prepared long ago. How long ago? What's Psalm 139 say? In your mother's womb, he was knitting you together, designing you, creating every day of your life before you took your first breath. Wow, think of that. And what you get to do is begin a, a system, be a systems thinker, so that you can be a great steward 
of your life and your calling to lead the churches you pastor or the organizations or whatever you're involved in to good health, to good growth, so that you honor. Again, it's that, that's the gift back to, to God. He wants to see you invest in your life that he so blessed you. As people of God, called by him to accomplish what he said. Amen? Amen. Um, well, I, I want to open it up. We have just a few minutes here for any questions that you might have. And if I don't know the answer to it, I'll, I'll do my best to try to find the answer to that. So, yes. Uh, I've worked professionally in nonprofit where we did have to go door to door and discover people's goals. And there is a clear trust issue. People I looked alike, people I didn't look alike, it didn't matter. They did not trust me. So in any situation, whether it be in your organization or in your church, how do you tear down those walls that are easy to see and the walls that aren't so easy to get them to trust that you are there to follow God's plan and that's it? Yes, great, great question. That's where listening and contextual auditing come in before you begin to even have those conversations where you know so, you, you, you discover who these people are, you're gonna have the chance to have a conversation and you create a sense of identity. Hey, I've discovered this about, I know you, got, you have been maybe struggling with this issue or this, here's how I wanna help you. you. You begin to show how you want to develop them and then use uh, their gifts and abilities. So we try to, and that's how we kind of approach it, how do we know how to best communicate to effectively bring great response and build that trust? And also what builds trust is the more they see you, the more they hear from you, the more they spend time with you, they build that trust. It's relational. It, it's relational, with exactly. Zero sum. Absolutely. So good. Yeah, thank you for asking. Somebody else? Yes. How do you find time to It is, and that's where building your teams come into place. Building teams that you can delegate. In fact, uh, we don't have a, a, one of our uh, breakthrough a breakthrough framework. One of our smaller frameworks is all about delegation empowerment. How do we learn to delegate people to begin leading and guiding where it doesn't have to be one leader because there's no way that one can, as you say, to be able to guide and direct all that. You want to build the right team. You want to build a team that understands and is a part so that you can begin to delegate. I mean, um, that was the situation, you know, where Jethro had to step in and say, let us take over in the Old Testament, you know, to help out um, with Moses in, in leadership to begin to guide the nation of Israel. And we have to do the same thing. So that's kind of how we, we do it. We focus on how do we develop um, ways to uh, designate, to lead and guide, to empower the people in the process. So that, and again, when everything's in line, you don't have to worry of, about that to a degree because people are just naturally stepping in and leading where it needs to be and go. But you develop also accountability process. Hope that helps. Somebody else? All right. It's been great to have with you. And just hope I've had a chance to encourage you and challenge you. Excited about how God is using you and seeing what's what's going forth, and, and I just, my prayer for all of you will be that he will continue to just open doors of opportunity so you can lead strong, and you can be a part of solutions that God wants in, in your uh, community, in your organization, in ways that will glorify him and honor him. God bless you all.